The following episode is brought to you by A Beginner's Guide to Nutrition. Are you struggling to create healthy eating habits and maintain a healthy lifestyle? Do you find it challenging to know what to eat and when to eat it? If so, I have the perfect solution for you. My simple guide teaches you not to demonize food groups like fats and carbs. You will learn what to eat to lose weight and maintain your physique. You'll also discover how to build muscle, endurance, and strength. Taking accountability for your lifestyle is one step in the right direction. Learning to rehabit ourselves and eating this, not that, will also help you become the best version of yourself. Realizing that you need to learn how to eat in order to live in moderation is a challenging admission for some to make. The ability to determine that skipping breakfast sets you up for bad food decisions throughout the day sets you up for success in your fitness journey. But that's not all. After you've learned to create healthy habits and food choices, this book doubles as a food journal. This enables you to meticulously track your meals and have a quick reference on what foods to eat all in the same place. This is a blueprint to create a newer and healthier you. Don't wait any longer to take control of your health and wellness. Order my guide today and start becoming the best version of yourself. The link will be in the show notes. show i really wanted to just jump right into it so i have a list of questions and with the questions i'm gonna just answer them so the first question is with with, let me back up a little bit with the controversy of all of the var decisions from the premier league this weekend is refereeing costing points to teams? And if that's the case, should there be a remedy? My thoughts on that are as follows. I believe that referees are human beings. Human beings make mistakes. Human beings make mistakes as players because the players are human beings. The coaches make mistakes. Fans make mistakes. And referees ultimately make mistakes as well. Nobody's perfect in any part of the game. And the fact that you have humans, you just have to deal with that. It's never going to go away. It's never going to be perfect unless you fully automate VAR and make it robotic. And, And you make it, the AI is watching the plays and the AI is determining 
who gets a penalty or what plays get reviewed. So the fact that referees are human beings, it, it's a real thing. I, I, I don't think refs get enough credit. Like everybody knows that humans aren't perfect, but yet and still the athletes get to be imperfect. The coaches get to be imperfect. The fans get to be imperfect. The media gets to be imperfect. But referees, oh, they have to be perfect and they have to watch the game and they have to get everything right on the first try, if you ask a fan. And I personally just don't think that's fair because we are dealing with human beings at the end of the day. That being said, you (laughs) know there shouldn't be a remedy. There should be an acknowledgement that we got this wrong, but there also should be on the referee's side and an ability to move forward and and carry in mind those mistakes that you have made and make things right because that's ultimately the most important learning from your mistakes and not making the mistakes again because when you make those mistakes it's it it really the margins in pro sports are just <laughs> so thin right like you talk about missing a goal from or or by by a few inches, a few feet, you know, that missing that goal by a few feet at the end of the season could mean the difference between a team going down to the championship or staying up in the Premier League. It can mean the difference between a team getting the three points that is in second place to win the league or finishing second it can mean the difference between a coach getting fired it can mean the difference between a player retiring the margins are super super duper thin in pro sports and when i say the margins the ability to make mistakes like the alternate universe the what if this shot misses what if the ball bounces left instead of right what if the ball bounces an inch to the left an inch to the right. People can lose their jobs. People can lose their livelihood. People can be called the greatest of all time. People can be called trash <laughs> just because of how well or or how close these things really are. And I really think that a lot of times when we're watching games, that stuff gets lost by the wayside. We just watched the Super Bowl and and the Chiefs kicker kicked the field goal to win the game. But he missed the first half field goal and he didn't miss it by much. But again, that just goes to show you how thin the margins are. And had he made those three points before, maybe he doesn't need to kick a game winning field goal. Maybe we're up by three as time expires and we don't need the field goal to win. The margins are super small you know the difference between getting a first down on fourth and inches that could mean we blow up our roster and coaches get fired and players get shipped out and contracts don't get renewed it it's huge or just in in soccer going back to soccer being offside being offsides by a foot being offside by six inches offsides is offsides like i think we could uh, agree on that but it it's tight. It's super tight. And I don't 
ever want to let myself forget that, nor should you forget that. I think I'm going to move on to the next question. Southampton just fired their manager, not just, they fired their manager over the weekend, and they've been looking for a manager for a few days. And I think they've settled in on Jesse Marsh to lead that team. He's emerged as the man for the job. I think this morning I, I read something that it was official. No, we've gone with him. I think, excuse me, I think that Jesse Marsh is a guy. Yeah. And I don't believe in all the, the recycling that takes place within pro sports. I believe that there are very capable guys waiting in the wings to get a shot, to get their big shot, to coach a team, to to lead a team, to to play in the game. But they just need an opportunity and all the retreading. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes it doesn't. Most times I think it doesn't. But the times that it does work is, is very few and far between. But, you know, Southampton, they're not a big money club, so they're not they're not in the market for Zidane. They're not looking at Pochettino. They're not looking at the, the regular names that you would think of when a big job opens up, especially mid-season. Maybe when you're looking for a guy in the off-season, you may have access to bigger names than you would before, but... A relegation battle? I don't think that's something that anybody's looking to sign up for. Jesse Marsh wasn't able to lead a team that basically, like, the ownership spent money. They bought players. They got him a squad that, that he wanted, or they went and bought players that he wanted to have in the squad, and he still, for whatever reason, wasn't able to get it done. That's scary. Like, he was fired with full backing and full confidence. And Southampton, while they've been a Premier League team for a really long time, for whatever reason, I don't think that they have the quality to withstand a relegation fight at this point. I think it's over. I think they're going down. And so if you hire Jesse Marsh, you are hiring a manager to manage a championship team and not a Premier League team because they are going down to the EFL championship. I think that's that's pretty much guaranteed and, and locked away in the book. But he's not going to be the guy to guide you successfully through a relegation battle given the quality of the team that you hand him. Good luck, and I... Would love to be wrong. I really don't think I am. The next question is, Marcus Rashford has been playing really well. Who should get the most credit for the form that he's in right now? And honestly, I think that's an obvious question. I think the credit goes to Marcus Marcus Rashford for, for playing well. He... He is 100% in charge of the performances that he puts out on the pitch. And yes, some of that is going to depend on the team that you have around him and some of the coaching that he receives. But at the end of the day, that man has to go out there and decide, make the conscious decision to get the best out of his body and get the best ability out of his game that he has to offer. 
And I understand that he is a professional and he's grown up in that club, but he still is responsible for 100% of the performances that he lets out. And I think for the most part, he's been able to do that. Shout out to him and shout out to Manchester United. I think they have moved all the way up to second place, either second or third. I know they're in the top five for sure. I'm not looking at it. And I don't feel like pulling it up right now, but Manchester United is, a, is in great form. And I, we already, we always knew that they had the players when, especially when like recently when Ollie was there, Ollie Gunner, Solskjaer was there and he wasn't able to get the best out of those guys. Like we always knew that the team that he had wasn't really the issue. It was tactics it always came down to tactics and how these guys were used we knew that when ten hag was hired he was more of a thinking man's manager he was more of a tactician so to speak and he was able to really look at the team and figure out who plays the best in what position and obviously yes there's been some tinkering with the side figuring out exactly how long to play who where what formation to use, so on and so forth, especially given the short preseason that he had. But I think ultimately in the end, the best players shine under him. Casemiro playing well. And I also believe that, yeah, Casemiro is a very high quality player. He might be on the backside of his prime, but he's still a really quality midfielder. And so when you pair really high quality players with a tactician, they are able to identify the best places, the best ways to use those players and to put them in the best position to win games. And all of that speaks for itself. Again, shout out to Manchester United and Marcus Rashford in particular. I think as far as their successes go, they go as he goes. So as long as he's still having success, they will win. The moment that he starts to drop in form, I think we'll notice United as a whole dropping point and looking more pedestrian. So hopefully they they win. I, I like to see a club like that achieve ultimate success. They're, they are up for sale. And I think there was a ooh, $6 billion valuation <laughs> placed on the club, meaning if you wanted to buy the club, you had to come with $6 billion with a B. And that club is in, in dire need of a, a serious cash injection. I don't think that you can just come in with $2 billion and just buy Manchester United and have all your problems solved. You, you need, uh, sorry, six billion. You need, you need six billion to buy the club. You need two billion to renovate that stadium because Old Trafford is, it should be named Old Trashford. <laughs> I know that was cheap, but it's true. That stadium is in shambles and has been for a while. So it, it needs some serious renovations. And I think about two billion dollars worth of renovations are needed at this point to get that club to a respectable and in my opinion fairly like even level with other top Premier League clubs what their stadiums look like the Eddie had and the Emirates Stadium and so forth 
King Power Stadium, even. I think those are better stadiums than what Old Trafford's got. So that's $6 billion to buy the team. That's $2 billion for renovations. That's another $1 billion probably likely to invest in the squad, to improve the squad, to have a decent transfer window and get players in the squad, re-sign key guys. You know how that goes. That's a $9 billion endeavor. Good luck to anybody who's going to buy that team. But again, I say it all goes as Rashford goes. So the next question is fairly related to Manchester. Not fairly related. It's absolutely related to Manchester United. But the question is, how does Manchester United handle the return of Mason Greenwood now that he has been cleared of all the charges and allegations against him. And I think we should be very careful with reading into the fact that he was cleared. When you look at the words that were placed in a press release by the prosecutors, it wasn't for a lack of evidence. It was more for a lack of cooperation on the witness side. She changed her story. She decided to back out. Things weren't exactly as she stated. Well, not as she stated, but it was hard to proceed with a prosecution of a guy without the person who, the victim, coming forth and testifying about what happened. So obviously the charges had to be dropped at that point. So does that mean he's innocent? I I would say at this point, no, but only two people know exactly what happened there. And that's Mason Greenwood and the young lady who was his victim or his alleged victim of the crimes against her. However, he's a professional athlete. He plays for Manchester United and The status of him as a player has now come back into question. The question is, how do you handle him? Do you work this dude back into the starting 11? Do you work him back into the squad at all? I don't think he's played competitive soccer in, at least at this point, over a year. So he's been out of soccer a year. He's still under contract. You cannot rightfully terminate this guy. But at this point, you can't terminate him for cause because the charges against him were dropped. So it's never even happened from a legal standpoint. So you have to pay the man the money that he's owed. And how do you handle it? I think you pay the dude the money that he's owed on his contract and you release him. I don't think you release him and tell him to kick rocks in regards to his salary. Like you got to pay him what you put pen and paper or what you put on pen and paper. But At the end of it, the man deserves to be paid his contract because what you don't want is you don't want to work this dude back into the squad and you're going out and you're going to, you're traveling as a team. And every time you go to another stadium, you got fans bringing it up. Every interview, you got reporters asking questions about it. Ask Deshaun Watson how all that, how all that feels and to me that's probably a terrible zoo of a place to be and i know i wouldn't want to be there as a player you pay the man his money and you let him walk away 
What does that mean for Mason? I don't know. Maybe that means he moves to a lesser league than a Premier League. Maybe he leaves England and plays in another league. Maybe MLS is on the table. I don't know. But I know the future is not looking good for him to stay in the Premier League because Manchester United can't afford the scrutiny and the circus that would surround him if you bring him back while you're trying to sell the team. That's not a good look. Last question. Is Liverpool back? I don't know. (laughs) They look really good against Everton, but... As Chris Rock said, that's like playing basketball against a special needs kid and calling double dribble so you can get the ball back. You know what I mean? You're playing against somebody with both hands taped behind their back. Everton has a lot of struggles. And as much as Liverpool is struggling, they it's two different levels of struggle. It's, oh, I can't afford to pay my credit card bill versus we can't afford to keep the lights on. Two different levels of struggle. I think obviously Liverpool is the credit card users in that scenario and Everton is living in a blackout because they are struggling big time with everything they have going on in their squad. They're obviously in the relegation battle and I think they are there with, say, Bournemouth and Southampton who have their own sets of issues. It's a nasty place to be at the bottom of the league. The talent pool, it's not a barren team. They're not devoid of talent, but it's tough. I think I heard today that Everton actually had not won this fixture since 1999. And for context, I was 13 in 1999. That was a long time ago. Those days are are far behind. And Everton, in the last... 14 years of that fixture have certainly fielded a good team. Like teams probably good enough to have won at least one of these games. And I don't have the records in front of me and I'm not going to Google it, but because I like to go off the top of the head, but they're not, maybe they tied a game here over the last 14 years. They certainly haven't won one. And that's, that's understand. Sorry, 14. Did I say 14? 24. 24 years since Everton has won against Liverpool. Let that sink in. 24 years. There are human beings that were born and have grown to adulthood and have bachelor's degrees that have never seen Everton beat Liverpool in a regular league game. That's ridiculous. I didn't even think about that until right now. That's a whole different level of perspective. But let's turn it back to Liverpool. I absolutely love to see Mohamed Salah like playing as well as he did in in the derby there. That team goes as he goes. I don't care about any new signings. I don't care about Darwin Nunez. I don't care about Cody Gakpo. That team goes as Mohamed Salah goes. And when he's playing well, it's fun to watch. Like, even as a Chelsea fan, I like to see Liverpool playing well. I don't like to see them struggling. I don't know. I think that's it. I think that's the end. Thank you for listening.
And if you enjoyed this show, uh, please subscribe and I'll holler at you later.